Welcome to the Vietnam Rising Podcast, where we have a discussion with the shakers and movers individuals in Vietnam about the opportunities in the business scene. I am your host, Minh Tham, and let's tune in to catch the inspiring stories, business opportunities, and how to navigate your way in this rising economy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Vietnam Rising. And as today, this episode is recorded in during the in the middle of a global recession or a very uh, significant one happened because of a pandemic of COVID-19. As the economy is going to, into a new phase of its cycle, 2020 is going to be a very significant year that will be remembered in so many decades forward. The unpredictable factors have been unprecedented compared to other global recessions in the past. In the beginning of this year, we see the travel industry is the first one who got heavily affected by the lockdown and the decrease of demand. Today, I'm sitting with the former head of revenue of Vietnam from Oyo, Hitanshu Sethi. Oyo is the $10 billion valuations hospitality business that we will learn how giants like Oyo's are handling the crisis and can we learn from it. Hello, Hitanshu. Welcome to the show. Hello, Tom. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, welcome. Uh, for the audience out here, would you uh, introduce yourself a little bit more? What did you do at Oyo and uh, yeah, what was the role? Sure. Um, so for everyone, hi everyone, Hitanshu here. Um, I work as the head of revenue for Oyo Vietnam. Uh, what that basically involves is how do we make more uh, revenue uh, for the asset owners as well as for Oyo. Um, so the two prominent uh, roles that I play is uh, to shape the pricing strategy. So how much we charge the customers. Uh, and the second part is uh, introduction of more and more distribution channels. So how do we get more and more customers into the hotel rooms that uh, our asset owners as well as uh, OU has across the market. Uh, so, what so are yeah, some just, of? Mm-hmm. So sorry. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what is the some of the strategies that you uh, you have applied into OU Vietnam? So, uh, very interesting part. Uh, so, what I would say is uh, OU pioneers the dynamic pricing strategy across the market. Um, so, what that means is uh, you would you would generally see dynamic pricing being a big part in other services like ride sharing uh, in food delivery services where uh, there's a difference between demand and supply uh, in airline industry etc uh, but hospitality has never seen uh, the uh, even though the demand and supply difference is very dynamic in the market uh, hospitality industry hasn't applied it at scale uh, so that's one part of uh, a very big part of what i do is look at how prices should go up and down for each of our assets uh, for individual dates going one year ahead. Uh, so that basically uh, uses a lot of technology, uses a lot of algorithm, um, and uh, that gets refined over time uh, to make sure that the yield and the revenue management and the yield for our asset owners is always uh, being optimized on the upwards level. And the pricing would be accepted and discuss beforehand with the partners? Uh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
the pricing strategy, the IP of the pricing strategy is still owned by OYO, uh, but how the pricing moves up and down is still being discussed with the partners. Mm, I see. So what is OYO currently offer to its partner and customer that is different compared to others' uh, competitors? Uh, good question. Uh, I think there's uh, there's uh, almost no competitors in the market from what uh, from what I can see to what we are offering. So traditionally, if you think about the hospitality industry, uh, most of the innovation that started in hospitality was, let's say, back in 2000, 2005 or so, uh, when a lot of OTAs came into existence, right? Um, mm-hmm. The online travel agencies, uh, by that I mean mm-hmm. Booking.com, Agoda, um, being the predominant international players and the domestic mm-hmm. players being, let's say, uh, VN Trip, My Tour, which started uh, maybe around 2010 onwards, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that's predominantly been the, uh, the innovation in hospitality, but what that caters for is it just adds another distribution channel uh, to the hotel owners uh, to bring a new set of revenue, right? Prior to that, hotel owners would rely on the walk-in traffic or people getting down at the airport and then finding the next uh, hotel that they would want to stay at. Um, now they can just look it up on the mobile, book it before they, uh, they go there, right? Now, but that's where it's actually stopped. Um, most of the, uh, the OTAs, they are doing primarily the same thing. OYO is quite drastically different in what we offer to the asset owners. So think about an asset owner's uh, life. Uh, there's a revenue management that the asset owners need to do, which means that deciding what is the price that I need to set for today, tomorrow, uh, next week, the year after, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a difficult thing considering there's eight or 10 different OTAs that a hotel owner will be managing, right? Um, even if you use technology that is currently available, it's still a very manual task. Uh, the mm. second challenge that the hotel owner has is uh, is that they still have a large, it, it is still a labor intensive uh, uh, market, right? So you would still have, let's say you're managing an inventory of 20 rooms, you would still have at least five or six different staff within your property, maybe even more that you would need to manage on a regular daily basis, right? There's no technology that exists for hotel owners. Sorry. By that, I mean, let's say the checkout that happens at 12 o'clock and there's another checkout that happens at 10 o'clock, right? Now, which housekeeper needs to go and, um, and clean what room and how do you keep track on a daily basis that all your rooms are clean, right? No one offers that technology right now at the back end, but it's very important for an, for an independent asset owner. Um, so on and so forth. So these, uh, there's no end-to-end full-stack model in the market which solves all the problems for a small asset owner. This is where OYO is very drastically different. So starting from pricing to adding distribution channels uh, by working and collaborating with Bookings, Agoda, Expedia, etc. at scale, uh, then providing the technology for each and every part of the activity uh, to understand how your staff is managed, to understand how your revenue is managed. Uh, and the last part is uh, providing renovation uh, services, right? For example, uh, 
hotel might be at the end of its life cycle. They might have, uh, let's say, yellow walls. When they started, they had white walls. So most of the hotel owners will not understand because they are new to the hospitality industry that that affects the customer experience, right? So we provide that full stack model where we provide all these services in one bundle so that a hotel owner cannot just run one hotel, they can concentrate on running five different hotels at the same time. So the partners and hotels, if they want to participate in OYO platform, or OYO uh, solutions, then they have to do the reno renovations first, right? Do you, how do you convince the hotel that it's worth it to do the, such renovations? Because I'm assuming they have to pay their own cost for renovations. Uh, yes, so it's basically because of all the data that we collect that we are able to share with the hotel owner. Uh, and we are able to convince them of the ROI that they will uh, get at each and every property, right? There's a direct correlation on the customer experience and the customer return rate uh, and how much uh, the customers will pay on each and every single room, depending on how the room looks like. Uh, whenever uh, the hotel comes and works with us, uh, there's, these, um, there's always these low-hanging fruits that we can tell them that, okay, these are the 10 things that you need to do. But if you do these five things to begin with right now, it will give you the highest for And then once we start generating revenue with you, we would like you to cover the remaining five as well, right? So these mm. five, they are basically um, to what the customers expect at each and every hotel um, uh, when they go. So it's basically like uh, having clean walls, having make sure that there's no water drainage in the room. Uh, making sure that uh, the toilet is separate to the room, making mm -hmm. sure that the lips are clean, etc., etc. Right? So basically, what the customer expects, and then there's uh, service needs that uh, the customers will pay actually higher for, right? Uh, so if you have, let's say, boutique photos on your wall, uh, you make it look a bit more trendy. Uh, a lot of hotel, uh, a lot of uh, customers will be able to pay extra for that as well. Mm. And how fast after the renovations, when a hotel starts seeing a significant increase in sale or increasing in customer from OU? Um, so I would generally, um, generally three months is more than enough, but it generally depends on each and every asset owner, right? Because uh, there's so many variables that play on what is the location, what is the repeat customers that the hotel gets. Uh, is it an online market in that area? Is it offline, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera, right. But uh, depending on all these factors, I see that within three months or so, you would generally get uh, start to see start to see a considerable effect on your revenue. Mm. So I read news and I yeah. heard that Oyo pledged to invest ninety millions in Vietnam, um, yeah. and and also in the first three months, it has achieved like ninety hotels on board with this. Yeah solutions then so my question is why oh you consider vietnam is such a potential market for a significant investment got it so and just to give you an update on that i think that was uh, when we launched in vietnam last year mm. uh, you'd be happy to know that right now we have more than 400 hotels oh, over the last good. uh the last six seven months eight months or so mm -hmm. uh, so we've added a lot of uh, partners um uh, sorry, what was your second question? Oh, my question is that why OU consider Vietnam such a as a market for such investment? Right. Mm. 
part is the competitive landscape or the challenges that we are solving right mm-hmm. so if i talk about the first part which is the uh, the size of the market uh, vietnam is a sizable market uh, depending or based on just the fact that um, what the gdp growth rate we have seen in the market i think back in 2000 the gdp per capita was somewhere around 400 dollars now it is 2600 2800 or 3000 something like that Mm-hmm. so basically if you see um, vietnam has grown quite drastically in the last 20 years right mm-hmm. which means that both uh, the middle class as well as the business they both have uh, money to spend and they both are ambitious to uh, expand out of their of of their current zone right mm-hmm. which means that there will be a lot of domestic travel which means that there will be a lot of uh, domestic commercial travel and domestic mm-hmm. uh, private travel uh, secondly uh, the growth rate expected into the future right mm-hmm. um, if you see vietnam is pretty popular in southeast asia uh, three markets being significant being china japan and uh, uh, and korea uh, but it's still seen as one of the uh, the markets that's not seen its entire potential till now Right. it's still regarded as one of the booming sectors which is still not mature as much as let's say thailand is or indonesia is there is still significant growth in hospitality left in the market right mm-hmm. which means that uh, if oyo is able to establish itself and service uh, the hotel owners right now you'll see a significant boom in the future right mm-hmm. the third part is the the challenges that we are solving so uh if you look at oyo um oyo came into existence uh, because of a model around providing uh quality living spaces at affordable prices right uh that still is a big problem in vietnam right mm-hmm. uh let's say you talk about a consumer who's going from a small province who's traveling to ho chi minh uh they would still want um to pay for the facilities that they have seen on booking.com right but yes. they would not see that right so that mm-hmm. standardization of of uh, of customer service customer experience has still not been achieved in vietnam uh, that's why i think the decision to enter vietnam uh, and why vietnam has been such a uh, a good uh, market for oyo i see do you target um So budget traveling and road trip travelers are they have huge community in Vietnam. So those uh are, are those your domestic uh, target customer? How about international? How do OYO helps international travelers like visit Vietnam and I feel like, you know, if international travelers come to Vietnam, is it like Do they do they consider budget traveling or they which is you know because the 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 exchange rate is real low so maybe that but the budget travel is of something very like luxury in Vietnam already. 
Uh, so there's definitely both the the kind of segment in the market. Uh, there's travelers who come to Vietnam who would pro- primarily go to Da Nang and live in a resort for the next uh, seven days, ten days or so, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's still a lot of. Uh, I think Vietnam is still that exotic country, right? Uh, people have still not explored Vietnam as much, right? So you would still get a lot of uh, segments, a lot of adventurous travelers, so as to say, right? A lot of a lot of uh, people have met in Vietnam. They're they're in Vietnam for uh, backpacking, right? And mm-hmm. uh, so you see a lot of hostels in Vietnam, especially in Ho Chi Minh and Hanoi, and all these important uh, tourist destinations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that becomes the primary market segment for uh, for the international travelers for Oyo. Mm, I see. Uh, more importantly, I think Oyo. Uh, is currently targeting the two and three star market segment, but in future we do have products uh, where we target three and four star market as well. So that's where uh, the wider international audience, as well as the domestic domestic luxury audience, will come into play. Share with me a little bit more. How is the working culture in your team in Vietnam? Okay, interesting. Uh, I think there's two or three different. Quite different facets to the working environment within Vietnam uh, that I learned over time, and I was amazed by it. Uh, one is I want to talk about the uh, the gender diversity. Right, I think the entire developing market and the entire developed market, uh, everyone's chasing gender diversity in the workforce, uh, while Vietnam is way ahead of the same. Right. Uh, so when I look around, uh, gender diversity is not a big issue in Vietnam, uh, and uh, it's uh, so both men and women are equally represented uh, in the, represented in the business, uh, which is very good for any given business because uh, you need uh, diverse points of view to be able to uh, to get to your customers as well as to get your uh, to your partners very easily, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a big part of understanding the culture and which is a big plus for Vietnam market in general, right? Now, the second part that I that I was quite amazed and amused was that uh, learning about the secondary employment for, uh, for almost everyone in Vietnam, right? Almost mm-hmm. everyone in Vietnam has a secondary employment that uh, they're either selling Roses, or they are selling honey, or uh, mm-hmm. right something or the other, right? Yeah. Which means that, uh, uh, which has a lot of connotations for uh, for the business uh, owners and business leaders, right? Which means that, uh, firstly, it employs that your uh, employees just don't depend on you financially, right? Which means. Uh, I need to engage my employees quite uh, quite well uh, because they are there because they believe in the business and not just for the money, right? Uh, which uh, is very good for uh, the business, uh, and it means that as a leader, I need to be uh, very engaging to my workforce. I need to be uh, I need to be mindful of what do they want to learn in their career, and I need to be able to provide that career pathway on what uh, an employee is looking for in their life. So uh, that effectively adds another uh, challenge to a life as a leader because you need to be two steps ahead, right? You need to be on your game, right? 
which is very interesting. And the third thing, third thing, uh, I think it it comes from uh, probably uh, a nuance in the culture. It's mainly around how hierarchical the society is, right? And how that leads to uh, difference in uh, in how the workforce behaves, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I so comparing my life to between Australia and uh, Vietnam uh, when we discuss problem statements within Australia. We discuss, okay, this is the concept. This is the bigger picture. Uh, and this is the problem that we are going to solve. Let's figure out what is the solution that we can mutually find. Uh, what I could find in Vietnam was because it's a, and that's my interpretation, because it's more hierarchical, uh, you need to go one level down, right? You need to also be able to provide uh, solutions to your workforce. You need to be able to say that, okay, this is the problem. Um, And the way we are going to solve this problem is by step A, step B, step C, so that these are the results and the checks and balances that we have to put in place are these, these, and these, right? Um, And that took a lot of time for me to learn because it's almost like micromanaging. Uh, but what I could find was that uh, a lot of uh, the employees preferred it that way, mm. right? A lot of employees, uh, and I, I think it's mainly because uh, uh, there's a lot of respect for the leaders. Uh, but what it also implies is as a leader, you need to be really good at defining step A, step B, step C, so that your employees can actually respect you that your your problem solving skills are good right mm-hmm. so i think these three are very different cultural nuances that i observed in vietnam that i probably will not see anywhere else mm-hmm. uh, and that's probably a, a business leader might be uh, might be uh, happy to know and be prepared for in the future before they, they become a leader within the vietnam industry mm-hmm. That's that's very true. So um, in my business, we what we do is I think SOP standard operation procedures is something that's very important in 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 Vietnam. Where you usually you micromanagement or you uh, you give a lot of guidance for a new staff to yeah. So yeah, because you know depends uh, because of the how the system works. The employees um, are mostly learning from school that you need to listen to the teachers they they did they weren't given a lot of space to be creative yeah. within the management so they also expect the same thing as in their leaders when they go into a company so that is yeah. a very important point for um, people who want to consider working and managing a team in Vietnam and i think it's so interesting right because it's like you want hierarchy, you want people to manage you like very specifically, but you also have the entrepreneurial spirit that you want to do something on the side as well. That's exactly. like, yeah, that's like the two opposite aspects of the spectrum. I think it, it creates a very interesting dynamic in the office, right? So what it implies for a leader is uh, you need to be really good at your craft, right? So if I'm deciding what is step A, step B, step C, uh, etc. I need to be very, very sure that these steps are actually the right things to do, right? Because if you don't put the right things, 
it leads to a lot of rework it leads to wasted effort in the organization you will probably not get uh, uh, the respect that you think you want as a leader right uh, and secondly then because everyone has a secondary employment that also implies that uh, you need to be superb at being a leader not just identifying your craft but be also good at managing your team well right so you need to make sure that everyone has a career pathway that they are there for you need to ensure that everyone is happy uh, in the workforce you need to ensure that uh, you understand each and every single individual's weakness and strength so that you are able to figure out what is step a step b and step 3 uh, see on how do you distribute between the team right. i think as a business leader that's what i uh, i really enjoy uh, it keeps you on the ball that you need to be really smart as a leader uh, and on your toes so that you understand your craft you do the leadership that's uh, that's required of you to do and everyone will support you uh, on your way Mm -hmm. and because the entrepreneurship and everybody is very used to the fact that um everyone is having a second uh, employment and some seven business ventures so on a consumer's perspective then consumer customer they always or most of the time they would associate one person in the company as the entire brand so also it's very important to maintain a quality of customer service so that anyone in your employee and your team will be a good representative of the company as well definitely definitely and i think most people uh when they i've seen that most of the 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 people who talk either to the asset owners or talk to the customers most of the employees they understand that part really well and i i think you're right uh, because they they have run their previous businesses or they're currently running the businesses they understand that face time and the image is very important and they are able to uh, uphold uh, the brand that they are working for be it oyo i'm assuming uh, be it vietcom bank or any insurance company they're able to present with pride that this is our brand and this is what we do for you which is mm -hmm. great for any business owner mm -hmm. and the customer service would actually go out their way to do service for the for the customer as well because they understand the value of keeping a customer and yes. staying on with me mm -hmm. yes very very empathetic uh uh, i would say almost everyone within the organization or maybe we are lucky that in oyo mm -hmm. everyone was mm -hmm. uh, but uh, i've seen that yeah the workforce goes really out of their way to make sure that uh, the uh, the customer as well as the asset owner they feel uh, happy working for the brand i'm assuming that you also work very closely with other international teams to learn like how they're doing and what's their knowledge in their local market have you able to adapt anything else from other market into vietnam definitely definitely so uh, i think because uh, of the structure in which we have set the organization there's definitely cross communications and cross learning from a lot of other markets especially thailand especially uh, especially uh, indonesia and so so the campaigns that we keep on running as well as the the customer experience that we learn from one market to the other that's definitely shared between the markets right mm. more importantly uh, i think one important aspect or one edge that oyo gets over and above any other chain 
is the network effect right so by that i say that let's say uh, oyo has uh, i think 1 million rooms in china so mm -hmm. people in china are familiar with oyo brand now right now uh, with that being the case when they come and look at uh, the next set of accommodation in vietnam uh, if they see oyo brand uh, they're more likely to stay in an oyo right um, so let's say if i go and partner with the charter flight company who's bringing customers from china and the charter flight company says that i'll keep you in oyo the customers will be more than happy to stay at oyo because they know the brand they, they've seen the brand uh, and the same network effect is growing in 20 uh, different countries right now mm -hmm. and in this entire europe i see right so uh, we are uh, expanding in 84 different countries right now so uh, that network effect keeps going stronger and stronger every single day mm -hmm. and what is something that you have to do differently from other markets uh, what do we have to do differently i think many campaigns although we do talk about uh, when we run campaigns and when we uh, run deals uh, we do have to uh, talk about learnings but most of it is localized right so depending on the market as in depending on the asset owner uh, depending on what the asset owner needs as well as depending on what the customer needs uh, we are able to tweak our offerings uh, but the offerings are tweaked such that the standardized facility framework is still the same while the fringes are tweaked so that uh, the product is uh, more digestible for everyone mm. how's and your so um, mm -hmm. how's your experience working in vietnam so far uh it's been great and then uh, i have loved every single minute of it so just mm -hmm. to give you a, a brief background uh, i uh, i I graduated from India um, in my uni uh, and I migrated to Australia the other day, right? Uh, just the next day. So never got a chance to work in uh, an Asian setting or a, a Southeast Asian setting. So, uh, and I was, uh, and you would understand that the work life balance between a developed market and a developing market is quite different, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted uh, that hustle and bustle and I wanted that uh, that challenge in my life. Hence, I migrated to Vietnam, mm -hmm. right? And I and I've loved every single minute of it. And then uh, I really <laughs> like the fact that you have to be on your toes all the time. There's so much stuff to do. Mm -hmm. uh, more importantly, you can work uh, into the night, and you can still go out and uh, grab food and beer with your with your colleagues, mm -hmm. uh, even though it's late in the night. So I just love everything about it. <laughs> what was the um, the first culture shock that you experienced? Oh, the culture shock. I did not expect that uh, language would be such a big barrier. Mm. Right? So I, I still recall my first night. In fact, my first night was very, very funny. So I landed on at the airport. Um, I, um, I knew that Grab was famous, but I never used Grab uh, in Australia. So I downloaded the app. Uh, it was all in Vietnamese, right? So uh, I did not know if I'm pressing the right buttons to get to the next page. <laughs> uh, somehow, book, somehow book uh, a cab. Mm -hmm. Then um, the cab owner called me. Um, it was uh, I was not able to uh, 
to convey to him where I'm standing, etc. Mm-hmm. Right, because the location does not pick up. I think Grab is slightly different from Uber that you have to pick up the right location yourself. Yeah. So I could not communicate with my Grab driver for at least 30 minutes. Then I saw on my screen that the Grab has started moving. He picked up another passenger and just oh, no. <laughs> left the airport. Um, uh, but anyway, so he realized the mistake. He came back after half an hour, right? Uh, uh, took me to the airport. Uh, and then I remember I, I I was so tired. I was just, I thought, okay, let me go and order some food now. I open Grab Food uh, and Grab Food does not have many menus that are that are translated in English, right? Mm, so yeah, that's right. that was uh, on first day, I did not know myself how to navigate around it, right? I did not <laughs> know any, any restaurants there. So that was challenging. And then when I was just about to sleep, uh, there was a karaoke bar, right? Uh, or an open karaoke, right? The way you uh, have a yeah. <laughs> Wait, in so, the middle of the night? <laughs> around 7 o'clock or so, right? So someone wow. starts singing. And I don't know what's happening there, right? I, there's no window at my at my balcony, so I can't see what's happening. I can't go and talk to anyone because no one at the hotel spoke Vietnamese, uh, English. So uh, I think that first day taught me um, the biggest challenge uh, or the biggest uh, learning for me was that uh, you need to learn the language at least a few different words so that you can survive here mm. like, but that's did you able it. to pick it up now you know since you've been living almost a year not as much as i would like to flaunt right? <laughs> <laughs> i good. wish i could i, I wish i and then uh, that's a piece of advice for everyone who's looking to migrate maybe or who's uh, looking to come back, I think, spend maybe one or two hours every day. I could not. Uh, but I think that's super essential to be able to do the business uh, in the market very well. Yeah, like um, English is picking up, right? People, A lot of people understand yeah. the need of English and they are learning. And a lot of people, young people, are getting very good. But then a majority of them is still very shy from speaking English because we... We usually shame our own accent, our Vietnamese accent when we speak English is something that's in pop culture, we shame it a lot. Even when like celebrities, when they speak English and they doesn't speak the right accent, then we will shame it a lot. So a lot of people would actually get scared and not practicing it enough. And then because a language, if you don't practice enough, then you can't, you can't really pick it up. Yeah. But things are changing. I, I agree. And, then, and I think a lot of people, are, uh, I totally agree with you, a lot of people in my team, um, they can speak really good English, but they just don't want to speak because of the shyness factor, right? Mm-hmm. I think eventually that will go away from the culture. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, as in, uh, more importantly, as, in, as an expat, I feel that one should learn the local language as well. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of expats are able to learn, just that I wasn't able to spend enough time uh, one or two hours in the days to pick up the language. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, pro tip for anyone that like first time arriving in Vietnam at the airport. Um, so uh, usually a taxi is better for, because you don't need a, a really um, language barrier to pick up, right? You just show him the address and then he can drive you to your destination. 
But yes. the disadvantage of that is that sometimes, uh, yeah, they may go a very long, a longer route so they can charge you more money. Or um, so my friend who came from Singapore recently experienced that um, basically the driver was talking to him, like being friendly the entire way. And when they reached the destination, he like, you know, bluntly saying to the guy, uh, my, my friend, that I need to charge you three times higher than the the price uh, because due to the pandemic. So it was during the pan the, the during February. Sorry. So so it was the beginning of the panic, and then you see the drop of tourism and demands in general. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so the the taxi driver was like, "Hey, I might I need to feed my family, so I need to charge you higher." <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's a good excuse to use just because you you have your own suffering doesn't mean that you have to use other people yeah. and take advantage of other people. But uh, <laughs> I think both, uh, both sides are justified here. I would say there's no right answer. Yeah, uh, that's true. Uh, that, that's, that's dynamic pricing, right? <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's dynamic pricing. So how did the... The pandemic affected Oyo. I, I'm guessing because you guys are very big operations, and you would see mm -hmm. much more, much earlier effect, and then also a bigger impact to your business. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, because we are operating in many different countries, we're able to learn how uh, different countries are reacting, as well as see what is the impact of um, different. Uh, policies on our uh, on our revenue right on our as well as the asset owner revenue so mm -hmm. i think um, vietnam was slightly different on all the other southeast asian market because um, what the government did was slightly different compared to other southeast asian markets uh, the government was fast enough to respond uh, during the first month itself right and i think that's largely because of what happened um, historically with sars handling and all the government was uh, more prepared, more vigilant to um, to react. Right? So what we have seen is since that also, uh, the revenue has drastically dropped across the, all the markets, right? And that's Which is in the uh, beginning of beginning of February is when you saw. Beginning of, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's been almost three months now mm -hmm. um, since the revenue has been quite drastically hit. Uh, every week we have seen decline worse than the last week. Mm -hmm. um, I think even because eventually the flights are closed, now the domestic travel is also closed, everything is just shut down, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but having said that, I am very, very optimistic that this market will pick up a lot faster than uh, what the other Southeast Asian markets are going to do. Mm -hmm. um, as in, uh, the government has, I think for Vietnam, We've not seen a case in the last five days now, straight, right? Yes. Uh, I think cases. today is the six days. Um, yeah. So the reason they act very fast is because we cannot afford to have 1,000 people get affected. Our healthcare yeah. system is um, yeah, much uh, not developed as other countries. So we couldn't risk people having the numbers present till so high. And uh, but that's almost the case almost every sing for every single country, right? And then for for what thousand? For, thousand for, for any number, for any number. As in, if you look at the curve, mm -hmm. 
Uh, there's always that upper limit where um, your hospitals cannot handle outside that, right? But yeah. Good that Vietnam was able to contain it to less than. Yeah. 200. I mean, the I think because the capacity, our capacity is much lower, so yeah. we took stricter measurements so that we don't ever get to that capacity. Other yeah. and then the other maybe probably because they and also because of the experience with SARS, um, mm-hmm. so we able to you know, apply a lot of those informations. And, and you know, like in SARS, Vietnam actually is the country who able to create a treatment or a vaccine for SARS back in the day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. So we were the first country able to contain it because um, we, yeah, it was, yeah, like, like the, the, the hospital, the doctor was able to the first time contain it, SARS, the first, and they uh-huh. had actually shared those knowledge to other country who was, affected back in the time oh okay yeah oh, okay mm-hmm. uh, but yeah i think uh it's a good day today considering i hear that uh, vietnam is opening up today well it's op- well it's considering opening up well we have been into the lockdown for like a month now and uh-huh. um beside the 12 um affected cities then the other province are now out of the lockdown the other affected cities our main city like us in Ho Chi Minh and Hanoi we're still in the base so today is supposed to be the day they declare if we're going to open it or not but they keep uh, postponing it just to wait if there's any new cases coming up and yes and uh, I think if next week if we open up and then next week, someone got affected, then yes, maybe we'll go back to lockdown again. That's for sure. <laughs> no, fair enough. I think uh, one thing that goes in Vietnam's favor is that there's no flights coming, right? There's no yeah. inbound mm-hmm. cases. Whatever cases are within the society, mm-hmm. only that will be transmitted, right? Yes. So, because uh, we've controlled, there's been a lot of tracing for all the, uh, the impact uh, cases. So I feel that uh, even if not this week, next week, we can definitely um, open up and the businesses can start running as normal. Yeah, but then we would just starting and focusing on domestic market first because right now the country border cannot open when other countries yeah. are still affected. And do you, think sure. it's, do you think it's going to change so much about how we're doing our business, right? So right, so right now it's the global, the internet, era where everything is connected, the global supply chain is connected. And because of this pandemic, you can see anyone, everyone get affected because China got affected first. And yeah. yeah. And then I think it will have a shift in focusing more in domestic market. Definitely. I, I think uh, what I can see is there's uh, quite a big domestic travel market uh, within Vietnam. And if you also think about, so on a business side, uh, there's quite a lot of businesses when the, the travel starts, they would want their sales staff, they would want their office staff, uh, staff members to start traveling and, and uh, get back uh, or regenerate the revenue that's been lost in the market. Mm-hmm. But also as in uh, people who have been stuck within their houses, they would want to go out and, uh, and explore the, <laughs> at least some place or the other with their children, right? Yes, that's so true. I feel that, uh, especially I think next weekend, we have a big holiday. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if the government decides to open up, uh, it might be good for the hospitality industry, mm-hmm. um, as long as there are no cases. Mm-hmm. As long as we can continue to see <laughs> no cases, I think it'll be really good for, for the entire economy. Yeah. And uh, so how's OYO's um, 
you know, adapting into this new phase of economy? So I think a couple of things that we are doing differently. Um, so one thing that we decided to do uh, when I think three or four weeks ago now, uh, you, you heard me talk about dynamic pricing, right? Today mm -hmm. I will sell the room at, uh, let's say, uh, 350K. If I see demand uh, going down, I will reduce the price to 335K, then mm -hmm. 320K, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. Um, the first thing that we noted was that the market is anyways in commotion, right? Uh, the customers are already too bombarded with information. Life is too difficult already, right? So what we did was uh, we made simple pricing for all our properties. What we did was we looked at our properties, bifurcated in four different segments. Type A property uh, generally sells between this range and this range. We'll make it simple for the customer. We'll only sell it at one static price until the pandemic goes, right? Type B property, type C, type D, right? So that simplifies our decision-making for a lot of customers who are out there in the market, who might mm. be, let's say, stuck in the, uh, in the market. They just see a simple pricing. They can make a call very easily, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the second part is, uh, as, I talk, as I was previously talking, the other way of increasing revenue is to add distribution channels, right? Mm -hmm. Now, because there's no domestic as well as business travel happening in the market, we need to dig very deep on what is the customer available in the market, right? Yes. So the customers that are available in the market right now are, let's say, the expats who are, uh, um, because the government stopped the flights all of a sudden, the expats who can't leave the country until they get the next flight, uh, expats who might be ending or locals who might be ending their lease, but their hotel, but their property owner wants them to leave, etc., etc. Right. Mm -hmm. So we found those four or five niche uh, customers that will still be in the market. And we released campaigns for those targeted at these four or five different customers. Mm -hmm. right? So, um, and the team worked day in, day, on, day in and day out to firstly compose these campaigns, implement these campaigns, and largely to add them as a distribution channel to reach out to these customers where we can find. Uh, I think that's uh, the two things that we did to make sure. And thirdly, um, we did go out to the uh, to the government directly. We offered a lot of our facilities for quarantine, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, I think the government already had quarantine facilities mm -hmm. uh, that they uh, that they had pre-selected, and they wanted the big uh, facilities to be that way. Chul. Mm -hmm. So uh, although we did offer uh, facilities, I think did not go through uh, because the government did not require a lot of quarantine facilities and. Uh, but the first two, the first and the second uh, campaign did uh, bring us a lot of customers. And mm -hmm. more importantly, we were able to help out the society where these customers were stuck out in the market. Mm. Do you think, what do you think after this pandemic, what is going to be a good action plan or a good backup plan for business regarding cash flow? Or if we see something like this again? Definitely, I think uh, this is um, this probably applies to almost every single business out there in the market. Uh, but having the cash flow 
for at least the next six months. I think this applies to small, big and large businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe even for a year uh, mm. will now start becoming a norm. Right. Uh, most of the hotel owners, uh, especially the asset owners that we work with, um, the traditional small asset owners, uh, they generally uh, try to go from paycheck to paycheck. So I think uh, we will take that leading step and we'll uh, educate our asset owners on how do you better your cash flow? Mm. Where do you store your money? How do you store your money? And how much uh, do you need to keep at hand so that whenever this comes in or if there's a second wave coming, we're mm -hmm. better prepared for it. Mm. That's awesome. That's very good advice. Mm, so, mm -hmm. so how's your experience in, uh, in quarantine in Australia right now? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's been pretty good. Uh, so uh, for all of uh, the, the guests who don't know, mm -hmm. I'm currently stranded in a hotel in Sydney. I just came back uh, to Australia uh, three, four days ago. And I've been uh, instructed to, to live in this room for the next 14 days. Uh, and then I'll be free, uh, a free bird in the market. Uh, so yeah, it's been, it's been a good experience. My food is delivered three times a day. I'm definitely spoiled uh, for food. Uh, I don't need to worry about almost anything. Uh, I've just created a routine around my day where I get up, I make sure that I'm not sitting on the bed. Uh, I get connected to work. I sit on this desk that I've created and I've bifurcated my time into three or four different buckets where I spend during the day. And that's So basically like working from home practice. Even though you're not exactly. at home. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so what is your next journey going to be? Uh, next journey is a very interesting question. Uh, so uh, I've, I've decided to do something on my own now, uh, right. back in Australia. Uh, I don't, I haven't figured out exactly the problem statement uh, that I'll be working on, but uh, stay tuned. We'll yeah. definitely have another chat. We'll definitely have another chat once we once I get close to that answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would uh, definitely want to hear what you're up to next. I think working in a a company like Oyo does give you a lot of change in perspective and what is is a good product, right? Definitely, definitely. I think uh, what Oyo has taught me, and I think uh, I would. Uh, I'm a big fan of Oyo, uh, but I think the, the biggest thing that Oyo is able to do uh, is to grow from one to 10 to 100 in a matter of months, right? Uh, everyone's so ambitious, all the targets are set. Uh, you, will, you will be surprised at uh, what the team is able to achieve. Um, when you look at the targets, you're like, oh, I, this looks unbelievable. Uh, but then when you are able to achieve the targets with the same amount of team, and you're like, oh, maybe this wasn't, uh, I wasn't thinking in the right way. Uh, I should expand my horizon on how do you, how do you grow from point A to point B? Uh, you just have to be in that growth mindset where you're able to figure out the next set of challenge and the next set of solutions. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's been definitely a great learning experience. Very smart, very intelligent people working for Oyo. I'm a big fan of the business, but... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, good luck to Oyo and 
and i'm sure we will be the next hectacon hector that's Hectacon? what they call it right Hectacon. i'm not sure <laughs> i only know <laughs> unicorn <laughs> so there's a unicorn and there's decacon and then there's a hectacon ah okay. oh yeah is already already a decacon mhm uh surely be a hectacon sometime yeah and i'm year. sure your startup will somewhere out there on that right too uh, okay. hopefully fingers <laughs> crossed fingers <laughs> crossed um how's, so how so if you're the audience want to reach out to you or want to stay connected and updated from whatever your new journey is then how do they find you oh definitely i think uh my email id uh is probably the uh, the fastest and the quickest way to reach uh it's my last name sethi followed by my first name itanchu at gmail.com at gmail.com so yeah. spelling it out for the audience is s e t h i h i t a n s h u at gmail.com that's correct very that's easy awesome. right <laughs> that's awesome Can't is there any is there any closing message that you would like to share to the audience who's looking into this podcast to want to hear how oyo or how are we going to get through this pandemic uh definitely then uh, i think my i'm slightly optimistic or in fact i'm quite optimistic uh, at what the other side of the pandemic looks like i've been discussing quite a lot with my friends and i feel that uh this probably uh, uh what the the governments and what the society is learning about the pandemic uh, we are we're learning every single day and we are probably going to get out of it uh, not uh, too far in the future uh, for example uh, vietnam has already managed to get out of it i know that australia is towards the end uh, a lot of the europe is towards the end so um, it's it's that uh, the the light at the end of the tunnel is very close uh what i do see is uh during such kind of periods um the businesses get reshaped quite a lot right so uh first of all the businesses who are able to survive um once they get out of it they will only do businesses better uh after this pandemic right so there'll be a lot of focus on cost there'll be a lot of focus on cash flow management there'll be a lot of focus on pandemic preparation Right? Mm-hmm. which is good for the society uh but for the new uh, startup owners then uh, for the new business owners who are looking to do something on their own or probably who are facing cash flow issues and who feel that uh, probably their uh, business will not be able to survive uh, i feel that during such times uh, there's a lot of new business models that come into play um uh, so there's definitely a lot of voids that will need to be filled um uh, keep on be on the lookout for those voids uh it surely will be a, a complex time to navigate but i think 2 to 3 years down the line we'll probably be looking at it as a learning experience right and mm-hmm. saying that okay i learned about this or during the quarantine during the quarantine i'll definitely remember my time in in this room right <laughs> i'll yeah. definitely uh our turns create good soldiers for sure definitely even, even in a town there's no war but we always need good soldiers <laughs> definitely so yeah as in um, yeah i'm i'm slightly optimistic i i expect uh, 
I mm-hmm. I feel compared to when I talk to my peers. Uh, and yeah, I feel that yeah. Let's just hope that everything goes right and be prepared for it. All right. Thank you, Hitachi, for a very insightful conversation today. And uh, yeah, I'll I'll definitely gonna catch up with you to see what you are up to next. And to the audience, thank you for tuning in. And I'll see you in the next the next episode. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks, Tom, for having me. Yeah. <laughs>